past, the present, and the future. Three words, three boxes, and the secret to storytelling. Today, you'll learn how to use this tool. Sweet people, I'm back. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Sweet Spot Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Zeus. And if you're looking for the sweet spot of your brand, you've come to the right place. My guest today is the world-traveling entrepreneur and storyteller, Graham Brown. He's a podcast pro, running a podcast agency, produced his own shows, and he is a regular guest because he has amazing things to say. Today, I talked to him about surprise podcasting for brands, but also about brand love, what that is, how that works. We talk about resistance and purpose. We discuss culture and mindset, and you get some amazing first-hand tips like the three-box technique for storytelling that I just mentioned in the intro. And also, we take a look into the future of marketing and brand storytelling. You're in for a treat, so without further ado, please enjoy my talk to Graham Brown. Welcome to The Sweet Side. This is The Sweet Spot Podcast with Mark Zeus, investigating entrepreneurship, purpose, and the creative life. Sweet people, it's my pleasure to introduce to you today, Graham Brown. Graham, nice to have you on the show. How are you? Yeah, very good. Wonderful to be here. Thanks. <laughs> Perfect. Um, where are you right now? Where do I talk to you? In Singapore. All right. So, yep. It's uh, for those that have never been, I know I'm amazed by some people who have never been to mm -hmm. Singapore, but it's, uh, yeah, we're out here in Asia. We're on a good vantage point to half the world's population india china yeah it's a good pace of change all right that's great because you describe yourself as a road trip and entrepreneur i read that about mm. you and this sounds super intriguing but i mean what does it mean how did that came to be why why did you choose to become a road trip and entrepreneur mm. i think it's like if you like travel and entrepreneurship mm -hmm. are very similar i feel in the sense that You can do things two ways. You can be a tourist or you can be a traveler in life. And being a tourist, as we know, is like, you know, you're on the coach, the bus tour. Mm -hmm. Everything's arranged for you. You get off the tour, you go and see the museum, you buy in the shop, and you go home. But as a traveler, you kind of get lost in the back streets. Yeah. And so travel and entrepreneurship are very similar in that respect that – Obviously, doing the coach tour of career is doing the, you know, the career thing. Yeah. But I chose not to do that. And I guess you're kind of similar as well. Is that I don't think you can just be one. You can't just be an entrepreneur and not be curious about other cultures or going to different countries and so on. So I think it's part of the same package. Absolutely. I love this comparison, actually. I never, I never heard that between travel and entrepreneurship. Um, mm. In my life, I, I found out that I started out as a creative, as a designer, as an illustrator, and then became an entrepreneur. And I found that there's a, a big overlap in terms of, okay, mm. working with insecurity, working with curiosity, some of the things you just mentioned. But I love the picture of being a traveler and not going coach, but maybe get lost in the little streets and very romantic. That's where the magic I happens, really like right? it. Yeah, that's well, perfect. Here's, here's the thing about you. I mean, like for your listeners as well, like, Mark is doing this podcast in English. You think about how vulnerable that is. You know, you, you it's like being a traveler, isn't it? When you go mm -hmm. into another country and you have to order food, exactly. it's quite scary, isn't it? It's it like, oh, can be. My from God, time what am to I going to get? Yeah, right. And so a lot of people choose not to do that, and they choose just to eat familiar foods or go to McDonald's or eat at the hotel. Holy moly! Yeah, but exactly. you've stepped out and you're doing this podcast. I think that's wonderful. I mean, that just goes to show, you know, this creative doing the podcast i know you traveled a bit yourself and you're also an entrepreneur so yeah proof well, in point thanks yeah absolutely and it 
yeah, it's an amazing journey. It's just fun. It's just once you get, it's kind of a, I, I talked to another friend of mine on this podcast about if you push yourself out of your comfort zone on a regular mm. basis, it sometimes can even become a little addictive to be like, okay, mm. it, I, it was quiet for too long. I got to do something. I got to <laughs> shake things up a little bit. <laughs> Are you familiar with that feeling? Oh yeah. There's yeah. a great book, by the way. I know you, you were going to ask for recommendations, mm -hmm. but I'll, I've jumped the gun a little bit here. That's okay. There's a book called, um, I don't know the exact title. It's something like, uh, how to make yourself rejection proof. Mm. Okay. And, uh, I don't remember the exact title, but the, the author, Jia Jiang, he's a Chinese American dude. Mm -hmm. He's got a video on YouTube. It's called the hundred days of rejection. Wow. It's, it's on what the point of what you're saying that basically what he did was he set himself this challenge every day to go out and deliberately be rejected. And those kind of rejections would be, you know, basic stuff, ask a stranger for some money mm -hmm. or walk into Dunkin Donuts and ask for an Olympic rings shaped donut. <laughs> I mean, they just obviously a lot of the time say no. One time he walks up to this guy, knocks on the house door and says, can I plant this plant in your garden? There's really r random stuff. Yeah. But the point being is if you get good at rejection, comfortable with it, it allows you to achieve so many more things in life because mm -hmm. you realize this is the barrier that holds us back. It's a very, very funny video and it's an inspiring book recommended to everybody. 100%. I really like this because I, um, if I talk to people, to professional athletes or people who are really into sports, I think this gives you the kind of humble mindset that failure is like the default state. If mm. you try to score some points or whatever, of course, 99% of the shots are missed, but the ones you get are actually, yeah, I like it. I like that one. Absolutely. Cool. Already it. starting off with a TED Talk and a book recommendation. Love it. I'll put it in the show notes, sweet people. There I'm going to research it and put it in there. All right. So, Graham, I really want to talk to you today about podcasting and mm. storytelling. And since they're connected, I think we can fluctuate between those two topics. But since you're a big podcaster yourself and you're a guest on many shows, let's, let's start there. Um, first of all, I would really like to start with your company, Pical. Um, where you create brand podcasts. So I'm really mm. interested how that came to be. When did you get in touch with the whole podcast market? When did you find your passion for it? And also see that there's a business opportunity in there. I've always been a storyteller and podcasting was a great avenue for that. I mean, I did my first podcast in 2014. Mm -hmm. That was the first one on iTunes or, you know, the platforms before that. You had to host it on your own website in the old days, MP3s. But it didn't become a business until much later. So 2017, I started a podcast, put this into context. I was that road tripping entrepreneur mm -hmm. at the time. We, myself, my family, my wife and my son, we sold all our stuff into like three suitcases, literally three wow. suitcases okay. and traveled the world for four years. And then another two years, we, we stopped a bit and then traveled a bit more. And that story aside, what was really interesting, Mark, was that that time we were living in places like, you know, Okinawa and the Canary Islands and Cyprus, really sort of beautiful islands. And as much as I loved it, what I really missed was the challenge that outside the comfort zone, exactly mm -hmm. what you said. Because, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I want, I want a bit of challenge. I want a, you know, a bit of resistance in my life. That kind of gives it purpose. And what I did 2017 when I was living in Okinawa in the East China Sea is I started a podcast to reach out to people. So at the time in Asia, there were a lot of startup studying. So I would reach out to these entrepreneurs, you know, what are you doing? What's going on in Shanghai? What's going on in Bangkok? What's going on in Chiang Mai, Singapore? I'd talk to all these entrepreneurs. And that podcast was a way for me to connect. And I did 503 episodes of that podcast. It's yeah. called Asia Tech Podcast. I don't do it anymore because I proved a point, you know, can I do <laughs> this? Yeah. Yeah. And I got the story out there, you know, Join the dots. But what happened was, Mark, that people 
started coming to me and saying, hey, that podcast thing, how do I do that? And this was around about 2018. And it became a sort of, now I have this idea about a business that could come out of this because at the time we were traveling around. So we moved to Singapore, set up a podcast studio. And the good thing about Singapore is that it's a small island and you can, within 20 minutes, reach pretty much every multinational bank, management consultancy, fintech, financial mm -hmm. company, SaaS platform in the world wow. in a tiny little island. And that's when it morphed into a podcast agency because those conversations with individuals now became, hey, what can you do for our management consultancy or our bank? And that's where the agency started because people were so, you know, like so short of options. How, how do we actually do this podcast thing, right? Mm -hmm. There were no agencies at the time in Asia. So in that respect, we're probably one of the first, which was exciting in the sense that there was no playbook, yeah, but also a challenge because, you know, there were no models for how to do this. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a big advantage from moving to a new place and establishing something there. And okay, I, I got two follow-up questions on that. First of all, I'm really interested if you host a podcast series for over 500 episodes. First of all, you quit because you said you, you proved a point. So what would you say was the point? Or when did you reach a point where you said, okay, I think I told this story complete or enough facets of a story that I think it's enough. So I really wonder when, when did you feel this series come to an end? Because 500 episodes is a great run. Mm. Yeah, I wanted to firstly tell the story of the Asian startup ecosystem mm -hmm. because it didn't have a voice. Asians tend to watch and learn. They tend to be a little bit more reserved about standing up and talking about themselves. I wanted to change that. I wanted to give them a stage. Mm -hmm. So after 500 episodes, I'd covered a lot and had some great, I mean, I had some really good guests and quite famous entrepreneurs as well in Asia. Uh, I proved that point. And the second point was, can I do this? Mm -hmm. You know, am I somebody who can build a brand for myself in this space? And I wasn't anything in the Asian tech scene before the podcast started, but, uh, you know, halfway through, I remember randomly walking in a city in Japan, in Kyushu, in Fukuoka, which is in the south, crossing the road and walking across the road. And obviously, if you're a white guy in Japan, you stand out a little bit. Mm -hmm. And somebody stopped me and grabbed me in the road. And I was kind of, it's a bit weird in Japan for somebody to do that. Somebody grabbed me by the arm and he said, you, you, you're that guy. And I said, what do you mean? And he pulled me to the side and says, you're that podcast guy. Wow. And it was somebody who'd been listening to my podcast, and I don't even know they'd seen me. I hadn't had a video of me on the podcast, but they've obviously seen me somewhere. And then I realized, actually, wow, that's really powerful. And that mm -hmm. started happening quite a bit. You know, I'd go to conferences, and people would know who I was because I was that guy doing that thing. So to answer your question, I realized that actually this was a, could be a lot more powerful because it shouldn't just be me who had this superpower, if you like, is this something that I could share with other people and mm -hmm. help them find their voice? And that's when I realized, actually, the only way I can really do this is to help them start their podcast rather than me doing mine. And that's where I am. All right. That sounds like an amazing journey. And especially, I think I can understand because I'm already, or I'm always interested in how businesses get started, what's the inspiring mm -hmm. drive, and also why things end. Because you either learn from a failure or you find something came to an end or something that's really cool so now i want to get into what you do today with the agency mm. because um you specialize in brand podcasts so anyone who listens to this is at least interested in podcasts but maybe didn't make the jump to hey i got my own personal brand i got my own company maybe a podcast would be something for you what what do you think is like the biggest purpose of podcasts for brands mm. Yeah, there are two types of brand podcasts. Let, let's break the podcast market down a little mm -hmm. bit so people can understand it. Let's map it. You've got B2C podcasts, which are true crime, history, 
those kind of podcasts, probably the most popular form, most well-known, Joe Rogan, for example. You've got now in the business space, you've got corporate podcasts. You have, for example, B2B podcasts, sort of a typical corporate podcast. These are, you know, like a lot of what we do, management consultancy Mm -hmm. podcasts, Mm -hmm. um, government agencies, banks, you know, we work a lot with um, companies like EY um, or Deloitte or uh, investment banks like Julius Baer from Switzerland, Mm -hmm. UBS, Mm -hmm. Switzerland, um, some of the MBB consultancies, um, SaaS platforms, fintech, airlines, government agencies, etc. Now, the big growth area with these is that they don't want to have really exciting um, true crime type podcasts. Mm-hmm. They don't, their business is not about, you know, they're not doing this as a marketing tactic. They're doing this as a communication strategy, which is how do we get our conversations out there? How do we shape the narratives? How do we influence rather than acquire? Mm-hmm. And those are the type of podcasts that we do because these corporations, and there are many, many, many of them, and we've only just got a small group of clients, and I imagine 90% of the world of those corporations has yet to start a podcast, are in need of humanizing their voice. You know, who mm-hmm. are these people? That investment bank, who are these people? What do they stand for? What are their views on ESG or DEI or everything that people want to know now, right? Think of how that impacts hiring. Think of how that impacts sales. Think of how that impacts PR Mm -hmm. about those brands. So that's a big part of where I think the growth opportunity is, is that these corporations have really yet to get on board with podcasting. It's really just starting. And the beauty of this, Mark, is that you know, if you look at podcasts now with corporations, that it's not one brand, one podcast. Yeah. The real beauty is you're seeing, for example, like if you look at management consultancies like Deloitte or McKinsey or um, EY, they have like seven, eight, nine, ten podcasts each. Yeah. And what I feel is that each practice, each team, each leader will have a podcast. So potentially, I feel the massive growth area in these corporations is that in the future, near future, they could have a hundred, two hundred, a thousand podcasts mm-hmm. per brand, and that is really exciting because now you've got this real unlocking of storytelling inside these organizations. Yeah, that's a great. Well, not only great examples, but also a great vision for the podcast market. I really enjoy that because I think mm. what you what you just said, and I, I think I want to dive deeper into this. The first thing is storytelling and giving a voice to a brand so it's not an abstract, um, unidentifiable corporation or something, mm. but really get in touch with the people, with their way of thinking. And also, if I think about what you just said, when I work with a lot of companies the problem is often there is a lot of fluid knowledge inside the company that only gets today connected over a cup of coffee in the cafeteria having chat Mm. over lunch more accidentally than really planned and there's a lot of very important knowledge when it comes to making business taking care of the company culture and i think this is also something that podcasts can really capture and keep alive or conserve or push forward inside a company so i think it's not only on the outside but also on mm. the inside of a brand that it really it really helps but you know i'm i'm wondering if okay i'm listening to this as a brand owner and i think hey this sounds amazing what graham does where does the process start and to me personally the biggest question is how do you help a brand find their voice for the podcast most brands already have a voice internally, at least, like you say, mm-hmm. like you've very astutely observed that these conversations are happening already over coffee, at lunch, in the culture of the company. Now, the challenge is, is externalizing that mm-hmm. or even internalizing it, even sharing that between teams. And I believe that the brand can do a lot better of of 
justice and benefit to its own story if it just gets its own people to tell that story, as opposed to hiring actors, which is you know what we've done in advertising for years, isn't yep. it? Proxies, actors, influencers. But inside of every brand, there are great storytellers. Maybe what they don't have is the technique, the domain technique for converting that story on, on a podcast, but that's where we come in. You know, They have the content, they have the stories and the experience and the connections. They understand the pain points better than anybody else. What they need is a little bit of tweaking mm -hmm. to make that work in audio. What they don't need is somebody to come in and write a script for them and say, this is how we're going to make your brand amazing. Yep. The big idea, you know, the old madman type world of mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. advertising. That's what we don't want. That exists in podcasting for sure. And that has its place, but these brands don't need that. These brands have white papers, reports, research institutes, people with a lot of experience and great networks of people within the industry as well. So they have all of that. Mm -hmm. The challenge is just pulling that out. And I think giving them a safe space. We talk about guardrails and green lights yeah. when we help those uh, storytellers tell their story is that we give them parameters to operate within to help them understand this is how you tell a story on a podcast. And you'll find after two or three episodes, they'll start with buttoned up tie, mm -hmm. and button up shirt collar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And by episode two, they're rolling up the shirt sleeves. And episode three, they come in like with the shirt yep. slightly undone at the collar, tie undone slightly, and they're much more relaxed. And it's like, wow, this, this guy's now really into it. Mm -hmm. And yep. that's what we want because then they're natural. And when they're natural, they're human. Like yep. you say, putting a face to the, and a voice to the organization. Yep. Amazing. So I think this is the qualitative aspect of the podcasting for brands. What would you say is the is the quantitative aspect in terms of when would you say, of course, it depends on the company, but when is a company podcast successful? Hmm. Obviously, it depends on your definition of success, doesn't mm -hmm. it? That a brand will have a different podcast objective to the other brand. You can, for example, create a podcast to generate thought leadership, to influence narratives, a bit like PR, a bit harder to measure mm -hmm. in terms of metrics. You can start a podcast to uh, create content to use for your sales team. So I've seen that where a successful example of a podcast is where an investment bank creates the podcast to deliver news and analysis. The sales teams will then use that podcast and send it to clients. So it's like sales collateral. Yeah. Another version of success is leads. You know, how much business did we get through mm -hmm. this podcast? These are all the top level metrics. Obviously, below that, you've got audience and rankings, which are the lead metrics. So obviously, more audience, more rankings equals more of the business objectives mm -hmm. as well. So really, it's it's important when you go into a podcast project to understand what is the measure of success first, because the client obviously has a business need. It's our role to help them understand what could work in a podcast and what won't work in a podcast. Because if they just want to get leads, maybe they should just do Facebook ads. Yeah, That's reality, right? Yep. However, if they want to build thought leadership, there are different ways of doing that and success is measured in different ways, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a, a depends answer to your question if that makes yeah, yeah. sense but i like this because i like that you just pointed out that it's not just a it's on the content marketing side and it's about thought leadership and about more more yeah marketing soft skills so to speak or long-term mm. things like thought leadership brand building image building establish your people on the mic as as leaders in their field and not just a sales tactic you can also use it but yeah I really like this and I, mm. um, I'm happy to hear that uh, because, yeah, I, I, I like brand building measurements, you know, mm. not only short-term sales thing. So <clears throat> to, to slowly get more into storytelling, you've done so many podcasts yourself. You've been a guest on many podcasts. Mm. Um, today you're here as a guest. So what would you say makes a great podcast guest? It's kind of a meta mm. question within our podcast, but I'm really, I'm yeah, really like interested it. in that. <laughs> 
Yeah, I'd, I mean, a part of what I do is I help business leaders get onto podcasts mm-hmm. as well because I think we're at a stage now that maybe four years ago, Mark, if you and I talked about brand and marketing, there wouldn't have been so many podcasts. But if you went into a niche area, like I was looking at pet marketing, for example, mm-hmm. um, you wouldn't find a podcast on it. But now there are lots you know, like pet services marketing, mm-hmm. like pet training marketing podcasts, very niche, very specific. So what's happened in the last four years, and obviously with the pandemic, is that there's been an explosion in podcasts, 4 million podcasts today, 50 million podcast episodes, which means there are now so many options. And I would put it to any brand that, you know, maybe one of the things to consider is, is if you're not sure about starting a podcast, think about guesting on other people's podcasts, right? Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, we have to think that it's now a lot easier to get out there onto guests and onto podcasts. So the competition is a lot stronger, right? Yeah. So you can't just turn up to a podcast and use it as a sales pitch. Mm-hmm. So that's out. But I would say the most important thing, if you want to be a really good guest is Firstly, you know, connecting with the host is really important. Remember, you know, in, in our conversation now, there's me, Graham, you, Mark, and then there's the, the audience, the listener. Mm-hmm. There's three of us, right? Mm-hmm. And a good guest should be able to talk to all three, of, you know, all two, really, at yep. the same time. Like I'm addressing you or I'm talking to the listener. And that's an important skill. Mm-hmm. And to do that, you have to know who the listeners are. Who are these people? What, what's their avatars? What's their pain points? You know, what are the reasons? Why are they listening to Mark's podcast? Right? Why do they trust Mark? So to know all these things is really important because I feel that, I don't know how you feel about this. I'm sure you've listened to enough podcasts, Mark, but my personal feeling is that too many people go into a podcast, switch expert mode on and empathy mode off. <laughs> Yes. Right? That's the problem. Like, nobody cares. Like, nobody cares what you know. Like, as they say, people don't care what you know unless they know that you care. And I think it's so important that you come on and talk about the problem and what you're trying to do and what you're trying to solve first. And then people will identify you. That, I think, makes a good guess. That's my personal opinion, Mm -hmm. having sat through a lot of podcasts on the other side. But I think that's important to help you understand what goes wrong. And I think it may just be the fact people are a little bit scared. They go into expert mode, right? Yeah. And I think they, yeah, just as you said, expert mode, I think they start looking inward. Like what's my checklist? What's my to-do list? What's the talking points I want to push out there? And Mm. there's little empathy. And also I'm a, I'm a big believer in brand entertainment in terms of, Hey, infotainment, uh, the age of streaming, social media, everything else. I think if you want to be heard as a brand, you have to provide some kind of entertainment, at least connecting Mm. your your brand topics, your own talking points to something that resonates with your audience, something that they really care about, something that's going on in their lives or whatever. And I, I mean, you can always hook what you really want to say to some anecdotes or something that's contemporary and important to them. So yeah, yeah. I think more in the outside. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're, you're working an audience, aren't you? Like a, a stand up comic or like a performer yeah. or an artist like yourself, right? You know, you, you're doing that, you're performing for somebody. You're trying yeah. to connect with them. If you're, you're creating a painting, you're expressing yourself, but you've always got the, the viewer, the audience in mind, right? Yeah, yeah How are they going to interpret this? Yeah. I like the, the image of, well, I think that's a great takeaway for anyone who might prepares for an interview or has a podcast interview upcoming that you not focus on yourself and your talking points and not even only on your, on your podcast host, hmm. but really imagine or maybe take a little passport image of your, of your audience or something with you that you really yeah. remind yourself to, Hey, you're talking to a whole audience out there, address them. Yeah. That's a great, I, I tell you, I'll share a quick story with you. I yeah, know, please. I know, sorry. He's still alive. I know a friend who worked in radio, mm-hmm. um, many years in radio. Radio is like should have died many, many years ago, but it's still <laughs> going strong, right? Yeah. And he, I asked him why. How? Why is radio still alive? And he said, radio is all about community and audience. They know their audience better than anybody else, right? And he, like your passport photo, he 
worked under this sort of old wise radio guru yeah and this radio guru told him like when he started it he said this is what i do and he said this photo here is a picture of my listener and it was like some housewife yeah. <laughs> jane i don't know what her name was and he stuck that photo onto the microphone and he says this is what i do every time i talk i talk to her Mm-hmm. directly you know so i'm always thinking about jane i'm like what's her problem what's what's she thinking about now what's bothering her what's keeping her awake at night yeah and i thought it was so magical because we live in this world you know of streaming where it's like hey you guys or you know it's not like yeah. engaging we can learn a lot from radio yeah wow that's that's something i never heard before i really appreciate this someone especially as a podcaster who praises radio or at least <laughs> the life hack we can take away from radio i really oh, yeah. appreciate it that's amazing it's a great one i'm gonna to have to put a new photo up here <laughs> yes right, there you go <laughs> sweet people did you know successful brands are storytellers they capture the attention of the audience by sharing engaging and meaningful content and i believe that every company entrepreneur or creative has an amazing story to tell so what's yours? I help you share your story with the world with a cross-media content strategy, editorial plans for your daily work, and a long-lasting brand narrative to build a great audience. It's time to tell your story. Check out sweetspot-studio.com and get in touch because it's time to share your brand story with the world. And now, let's get back to the show. Well, Graham, we're in the middle of talking about storytelling. And I want to mm. start off going deeper into this because you wrote a book about the psychology of storytelling called Brand mm. Love, how to build a brand worth talking about. So I think the first things first, well, you all sweet people find the book and all the info about it in the show notes. But uh, maybe we can start at the top. I don't want to dive too deep into mm. it because I guess you already talked about it a lot and you have great interviews just revolving around this book but for someone who's new to this what would you say brand love really is it's how to create a brand worth talking about why do we talk about some brands and not the others mm -hmm. why do we love some brands and just like others it's curious isn't it because there doesn't seem to be a roadmap or a playbook for that and it's certainly not something you can do through social media there has to be something core to that brand and a big part of what we found and the whole the whole book was a journey of discovery like researching the brands talking to the people um i wrote the book with two partners one who was one of the marketing heads for monster energy mm -hmm. which was uh for those that don't know it's the the green claw soda yeah that is very much like Red Bull, but a bit more grungier than Red Bull. And and um, loved so that, by people, right? I saw uh, in the book there's a picture of someone, of someone having the monster um, uh, can tattooed on his or her arm. Yeah. <laughs> Intense, yeah. yeah. He, he, his whole laptop was full of those images. Wow. And you know, the, the really amazing thing, Mark, was that, They did that even in markets where they hadn't yet got Monster. Like Indonesia, for example, quite early oh, on. Wow. Didn't so have the brand became a Monster. symbol attached to yeah. all the values, all the brand story, and it transported even into market where the brand wasn't available. Wow. Well, you can buy it, yeah. And because his job was like the international expansion, getting it into new markets. And so very much, you know, learning from that. He worked at Red Bull previously. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Red Bull and Monster are, are slightly different. Um, they they do things differently, but the genus, the the origin of their stories and how they tell stories is very similar. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, like, you know, why would somebody love? Like, why would they get a tattoo? It's it's just soda with sugar and and caffeine, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Why? What's how is that possible? And this is the beauty of it. And I think this is the power of like why we should all spend some of our time studying soda, because the the beauty of soda is also its weakness is that if you take Coke and Pepsi, they're exactly the same, like mm -hmm. one slightly sweeter, but 
physically and you know in terms of their capabilities as brands they're very much similar right but when you look at the soda market that you'll see that they don't have anything they don't have really a product they don't have any barriers to entry they don't have any secret technology any distribution rights mm -hmm. that others don't have all they have is story and therefore when you look at the soda market that is pure story that is that all they're selling is story yeah yeah because everything else is copyable and when you really get into that you really understand what makes people love brands is what those sodas had to learn the hard way because if they were all about oh well you know us taste better and pepsi actually did this mm -hmm. this pepsi challenge i remember they, yeah you remember that in the supermarkets mm -hmm. and then they would say hey which tastes better yep. and actually pepsi tastes better but interestingly when they repeated those experiments i think 20 years afterwards they neuropsychologists run this experiment same thing they would give you and me two colas a and b and we'd taste it oh yeah that one tastes better oh that is pepsi and then they with a twist changed the experiment they now said okay here are the two colas but we're telling you which brand they are this is coke and this is pepsi and when they drunk coke they said it tasted better yeah. than pepsi by a factor of four to one which is really interesting when you think about it when we didn't know which brand was which pepsi tasted better but when we knew the brand it was far better tasting yeah the coke and the fascinating fa fact of that is that actually brand has in some way shaped the experience in the brain at the brain level neurophysiological level of experience and that is the magic of storytelling yeah. and once you understand that's what it can do the question is how do i do it 100 and how do you do it you got a little drawing a kind of a brand love model and um it's like a heart in the center where there's brand right. love and then you have three parts three parts of a circle around that heart it's people culture and metrics and i mean everyone can read the book and i totally recommend it but since you already said i think the example with pepsi and coke is an amazing example because it's about the story that you attach to a brand the resonance in your life the story how it resonates with you and i think people use brands as a part of identification i mean i see mm. it even here in hamburg germany which is super flat it's the north of germany it's an absolutely flat city but you see a lot of hiking outdoor streetwear you see a lot of four-wheel drive jeeps and all of these brands are basically probably also just love brands because i don't need them i can't even say it mm -hmm. is it better or worse it's just a part of me a part of my identity that i construct via consuming these brands right so mm. i'm really interested in this this one part of the circle that you draw up there circle because you said marketing is a mindset maybe we can talk about this but i'm also interested in yes the brand love and storytelling is part of the internal culture but i'm really interested in how you think brands can resonate with the with our culture, like the, the outside culture, the social fabric, hmm. so to speak. The challenge, it, it goes back a lot to what we talked about with podcasting, Mark. The, the challenge is, is that these brands have great people and great stories inside them. Mm -hmm. And what we've done for generations is we've kind of supplanted that with these proxies. I mean, the best example of this is Ronald McDonald, it's a clown, right? Yeah. It's like fake. No, no, nobody really likes clowns. They're a little bit scary for people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't particularly like them myself. I think they're yeah. odd. They're strange. Like, I don't think anybody actually liked Ronald McDonald. Um, but it was used as a proxy to connect with people. And yet we're all very happy connecting with real people. And one of the challenges brands have is to let go of fake and be vulnerable and almost break down the walls such that people can connect. If you think about, take Monster as an example, most people who work for Monster are involved in some form in the sports that they sponsor, mm -hmm. whether it be dirt biking or, you know, 
F1 or whatever it may be, all the different sports they're involved in. So they already have those connections. They already have networks. And what they allow those people to do is get involved and connect. And it's real. You know, a traditional way of doing that was to not allow people to get involved, to cut them off, to build mm -hmm. a wall, and then hire a marketing agency to create this fake campaign, the big idea yep. about what we're about. So really it's that shift. It's that shift from, you know, almost manufactured reality of a brand to the authentic brand, which mm -hmm. is allowing people in and allowing your own people to connect with their networks. That's the vision of where we're going. But I think we're seeing that now. I think we're starting to see brands open up. We're seeing people more public about what they talk about, a lot more acceptance, even in the leaders as well, about them having an opinion yep. and allowing them to get out there and vocalize the story of the brand. Yeah. So all of a sudden it becomes way more important where your brand stands, what values they want to transport in the communication, if they resonate with the zeitgeist, with what I'm all about as a person, right? Instead mm. of, okay, I have to narrow it down into a 30-second advertising slot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, people see through that, right? If, yeah, if, I think so. I, I, I just wondered, as you said, that if it was also connected to our media consumption and the media opportunities we had up until the 90s, because... Mm -hmm. It's hard to to be authentic and connect. I think it takes more time or way more touch points to to build a brand that's culturally so diversified or get so many touch points. Maybe it's it was so hard to do it. And if I can just book a single twenty second advertising slot on TV, I'm not sure. I'm thinking about you're it. You're absolutely right. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. L go go back to you know the late '80s at the peak, mm -hmm. and I mm -hmm. remember it being much older than most people in the marketing industry now, I'm afraid, is that I remember there was a time, if you remember MTV, mm -hmm. there was um, MTV showed one advert for Madonna with Pepsi and they paid seven and a half million dollars to Madonna for this one advert. Yeah. And it showed only once. And it was so powerful that even before the advert, they had a documentary about the advert. <laughs> Wow. You know, it's like, oh, they're going to release the Madonna commercial. It was like, you know, it's just an ad. It's a 30-second yeah. ad, but they had this big hype and build up to it. And you said, you know, an important point about was that enough? And here's the interesting thing is that when you saw uh, an advert for Coke or Pepsi on TV, that cost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. uh, only brands with money could advertise. Therefore, when you saw that ad, you knew that they must be selling a lot of Coke and Pepsi. Yeah. And yep. the reason they're selling a lot of Coke and Pepsi is because people like you are buying it and you and I are buying it, right? Therefore, it was social proof. But, you know, fast forward 20 years, like people appearing on your screen, you can do that for free now. Exactly. Right? So the social proof see. element of advertising was destroyed. And therefore, you know, we no longer believed in, if you go back 20 years, as seen on TV. Mm -hmm. It didn't mean anything anymore, right? Doesn't yep. Nobody cares. Yeah, absolutely. And in many ways, it's, it's, you know, there's many other better ways of creating connections. So that's what's changed, the social proof aspect of advertising, which was what it was always about and always will be about. I really like this idea of the social proof factor in advertising. I'm really going to sit on this after our talk and, mm. and think about it because I, I can only, well, I caught the... I caught the end of the advertising age. I started working there in the early 2000s. Hmm. And it was just, you just heard how great the ad industry has been back in the 90s, back in the hmm. 80s. And I think this is a big, a big part of it because you really were um, in the focus of a lot of cultural attention and you were really the yeah. focal point of transporting so much attention for one brand into one spot like madonna and that's comes with a lot of responsibility a lot of attention and a lot of hype that's created around it but as you just said and as we just established as the storytelling shifts as the media landscape shifts you're not that important anymore as a translator mm. as um yeah the cultural translator and narrator of that brands yeah 
it's, it's a good point, Mark, because you're, you're bringing up what it used to be like. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people may not, you, you were lucky to catch the end of it, but most people won't even know. Mm-hmm. So advertising was like the startup world, yep. but, you know, obviously in the 80s, mm-hmm. in the context of the 80s. And that, that's changed. You know, that's where the creative people went. Because as you say, you had that attention. If you could create a good campaign, you could change a brand completely. Yeah. You know, you could, I think of the people who created the campaigns, like the most famous ones, obviously, are De Beers, Diamonds are Forever, these campaigns, which yeah. are well known. There's even one, I don't know if it's European, but Meow Mix, who make munchies for cats, mm-hmm. you know, so good that even cats ask for them by name, all those kind of <laughs> things. It's, the, the, the copywriters for these ads were superheroes. Mm-hmm in their day, but yep. it's very different now, but they, they would be doing, I don't know, Bitcoin, <laughs> who knows no, what they'd be yeah, now, but yeah. that's where it was back then. Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting cultural shift also in the, in the background within the storytellers themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about if I'm listening to this with my brand, if I'm about to be on a podcast, we talked a lot about storytelling and in theory and in the bigger context but i know that you probably have some storytelling techniques that you can maybe tell the sweet people about maybe a trick they can a trick a technique they can apply if they prepare for Mm. their brand or for an interview is there something you can share with us yeah this is more down to the mechanics of storytelling people often say like why is steve jobs so good at storytelling well he just knew what stories should look and sound like. And that is a, a superpower in itself. And if you look at great stories, they all share similar plot lines. Mm-hmm. And I'll share one with you today. It, it's like um, sometimes when people ask me about my background, I say, you know, I graduated with an AI degree in 1995, which is like you know, the last century. Mm-hmm. It's all a bit sort of strange, 25 years ago doing AI, very different world. Uh, there wasn't any opportunities in AI back then, not like now, which would be Google, Facebook, and mm-hmm, so on. So mm-hmm. they gave me an opportunity to teach English in Japan. And that was it. And I remember they asked me, like, do you think you could do it? And I said, well, what, what do I need as a qualification? And they said, teach, you need to speak English. And that was it. So I was away. I went to Japan. And the reason why I tell that story is, firstly, it gives a bit of background, but the point is, is that when people ask you to tell your story, the often mistake that people make is they start at the beginning. And I'll say, you know, I was like five years old and I did this or the beginning of the company, right? But it's like, a, if you think about it, all good movies, all mm-hmm. good books start with an ending. And this is what I want to share with your listeners is that use what I call the three box storytelling technique, which is simply put past, present, future. If you tell your story in three boxes, you'll capture a lot more of the imagination of your audience. But you don't start with the past, you start in the present. And let's put this in the context of a movie. The movie opens, there's a dead body on the floor, you know, a woman drops a gun and she runs away. That's the opening scene of a movie. I know I've never make it in Hollywood, Mark. Forgive me. That's my version of a thriller. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. It's thriller. Yeah, yeah, we might back this one. But you get the idea. That's, you know, it's not unusual as an mm-hmm. opening scene. And when you see that scene, first of all, what you've done is you put the problem there. This is the problem. It's on the table. Now we have to fix it. And the audience is thinking, how did this happen? Yeah. What on earth made these events come to be? And the next step for the director of the movie is to say, okay, right, I've put the problem on the table. Now the next step is I'm not going to give you the solution, which is expert mode, right? The next step is how did we get here? And the movie then winds back to college when the boy met the girl mm-hmm. and before she shot him like when they were friends like when it was all starting out so the backstory yeah and that's a very typical well of 
typical way of telling a story. And it gives people the backstory and the backstory helps the listener understand who you are. You know, what are your drivers? How did you get here? What means what to you? What's important in your life? So you do three boxes, box one, present, box two, go back to the past. How did we get here? What is the way of thinking or the mindset or the broken thought processes that got us to where we are today? Mm -hmm. And then once you put all that there, your job now as a leader, storyteller, is to pitch the promised land, which is the transformation. Okay, I've shown you all these problems. Now I'm going to take you over the threshold to the solution. The third box is the future. What is the shape of the business? What is the transformation journey that we need to undertake to get there? And that's a very simple way of telling a story in three boxes. But as long as you get box one and two the right way around, you can maintain yeah. the engagement and the attention of the audience. Well, first of all, thanks for this three-box image. I think we can all work with this in the future. And I also loved not only the the drawback to, yeah, it's about business, it's about the future, it's about inspiring people. I also love the image that you said, hey, imagine a thriller or a crime show where you are this guy who's in ego mode, who's in presentation and sales mode. Okay, this happened, mm. this happened, 10-minute movie, uh, movie, it's over, we solved the case. It would be incredibly boring. I, I really like that <laughs> idea of, yeah, imagine you're telling a thriller. How do you manage your information? Yeah, How do you keep the it, audience right? involved? Yeah, I really like it. <laughs> wow, amazing. <laughs> we, we've all sat in those presentations and thought, yeah, oh my God. Yeah. This happened, this happened. She's dead. She's in jail. Thank you. Yeah, great movie. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> And let's do And, the next one. Yeah. But you know, I, Mark, I think there's like a really, you know, people often say, well, I don't have an interesting story, but I feel like in each of all of us, there's an interesting scene, yes. which is found in every single movie. It's called the departure scene, which is we've all left something in our lives. And that something could be a comfortable job in a bank. It could be a country, you know, you move from Hamburg to London, or you maybe started a business against the advice of all the aunts and uncles around you yeah. who, you know, you should get a comfortable career. So we've all left something in our lives. Everyone, every one of your listeners has done this at some point to some degree. And that may not be an amazing feat. It may not be heroic. It may not be movie quality, but I bet there's somebody who you know, who is thinking about that, who's thinking, looking out the window thinking, hmm, shall I do this? Mm -hmm. Who needs to hear that story. And every single movie, every single book, every single religious text has this departure scene where the hero crosses the bridge, crosses the river, crosses the threshold, yeah. leaves comfort and takes on the rocky road, the journey. You know, we don't know who's on that road. There may be thieves. There may be, you know, gods disguised as monks yeah. or whatever it may be in the Part sort of, of tales. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. We just don't know, but it's going to be different. We only know that much. Yeah. And that is every single movie, every single book out there. And every single one has that departure scene. And it's a great way to start. If somebody asks you, what do you do? Start where you left off, because that defines a lot about you. And we understand who you are and what you're building in mm -hmm. this life. Yeah. And this reminds me, you mentioned comedy and stand-up before mm. in our talk. And I heard a great advice or a great line about storytelling when it comes to stand-up comedy. And I think this applies to all stories you can tell. If the more specific you make it, the more general the story will be in terms of how can i attach to it if you mm. want to tell a joke it needs to be super specific and i think the same goes for a story of course you can talk about if you would say oh i departed from a place and i arrived in a new place mm. no one can attach themselves or their emotions to it but as you just said i had to go from here to there and i think the more specific you make it and the more you make it about your own job life biography struggles whatever the more people can actually relate to it because then it gets emotional then it gets personal yeah it's trust That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Like, do I believe this person? Like when you meet somebody, you're always reading them. And when you listen to their voice, does what they say and how they sound add up? Mm -hmm. 
And it's the same with story as well, that if you think about Lord of the Rings, like Pete Jackson would go into detail and he hired botanists to plant the right fauna and plants, the flora, sorry, for Hobbiton, you know, mm -hmm. where the hobbits lived mm -hmm. in. And they planted all these plants and they spent like 18 months to two years growing them before they put the set in. You know, they had that level of detail. Yeah. They were going to put these plants in here because you're not going to watch the movie and think, oh, what well, those are daffodils like, or that's lilacs there. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't look like it's in place, but you just absorb that and everything yeah. feels right about the message of that story and that level of detail. Like when you tell a story, don't say you departed, say exactly where you were going, you know, and then even the punchlines and all these kind of things need to be practiced. Yes. And you need that level of detail. And that's the bit about comedy is that it takes a lot of work, a lot of hard work to appear effortless. Mm -hmm. You know, when you get on stage and you practice and you're telling jokes, if you see people like Jerry Seinfeld, you know, these stand-up comics, you know, who've had all the fame yeah. they needed, all the money, but they go back to the comedy clubs, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. you know, to do new material because they're constantly testing, testing, testing. Yeah. Yeah, and that yes. is the key is that if you're a storyteller to get that level of experience to get that level of detail to be that good at it is constant practice it is a journey in itself and that will come with a lot of facing rejection yeah full circle i really like it going back to the recommendation about rejection really yes. really cool graham i have one one last topic i want to i want to touch on you just said that you studied ai Back mm. in the day, 1995, you graduated. So if I get this with the three boxes right, we're now here. We went back into the past, what you studied. And now you, as my guest, as a leader, maybe you can give us a little outlook into the third box, into the future. What do you think is AI going to do or maybe other technologies uh, mm. to storytelling? Yeah, I, I feel this is where you and I really have an opportunity to shape things that the more we as a society rely on ai and data and algorithms and more of that takes over mm -hmm. interactions even at the basic level like talking to a chat bot you know it's not a great experience is it nobody really enjoys that the more that happens the more our lives are run by data think of delivery apps mm -hmm. the more we will seek out the human touch. You know, we will seek out the aspects of humanity that machine cannot do. And machine cannot tell stories. A machine cannot tell a story because in the same way a machine cannot paint. You, okay, as an artist, I'm sure you'll appreciate there are many examples of monkeys, parrots, elephants painting on a yeah. canvas. And it looks like Jackson Pollock, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you think, and, and then there's the story about how they sold it for a hundred thousand dollars. And it's like, ha ha ha, aren't artists and, you know, particularly mm -hmm. the buyers of art stupid, right? That's the, what they're trying to tell us. But the point is, is that we do not buy art. We buy the story, you know, you buy 100%. the artist and his story. You buy the fact that it was Picasso or the fact that it was a Jackson Pollock and not a monkey. Exactly. And what they were they trying to say? And you can't have that from a machine. A machine can easily copy art and maybe do it better. Music is the same. But yep. I guarantee that that a AI can write a song as good as any song you've ever heard. But the thing is that AI has never, ever been a teenager and been rejected by a girl. It's never, ever faced loss. Never, yep. ever... Song, so the song doesn't come from a position of pain. And I feel it's the same with art. And I feel it's the same with all humanity is there's this internal yearning, whether it's pain or need to connect with people. And that is what makes us human. And it's from that position that we connect with other people. And that's something that machine cannot do or will ever be able to do because machines cannot make mistakes or be vulnerable. And so the challenge for us, Mark, is, and all your listeners is that the more vulnerable we become, the more people will connect with us. So if you're out there thinking, oh, should I do this? Then, and you feel like a little bit nervous about pressing publish or going onto a podcast, it's the right thing to do because 
I tell you, in 10, 20 years, AI will be doing your job. So the part that we need to focus on, get really good at, is the bit that AI cannot do. And that's how it's going to change the dynamic. And a lot of people are going to lose out for sure. As in yeah. every industrial revolution, there'll be losers and winners. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. I really loved hearing that because I don't know how it is, how it is in Singapore, um, but in Germany up until I think three or four years ago, every, literally every startup technology trade fair meeting, uh, investors meeting, wherever I've been, even with my startup back in the days, it's always been the same story. They always started the pitch with either two images, two poems, a piece of music, and it always uh, the release was always the same. Oh, this one is done by a human, and this one is done by a machine. <laughs> and what you just said resonates so much with me because what I appreciate most in in any art form, let's say music, because mm. we didn't talk about about music so much. Let's say you're at a live concert, and I think mm. the most amazing thing you can you can possibly see is someone let's say you got a blues guitar player because that's close to my chest um, mm. and I think the most beautiful like thing that can happen in this evening is that he's so close to failing because he's mm, just yes. out there in his comfort zone and he's just that's at the it. very limit of his capabilities and he's bending the last tone and it's not perfect and the amp is a little yes. in overdrive and it's just and I think that's so much of the beauty when it comes to culture or arts that you see someone is really so close to the breaking point that something is happening there that you can resonate with. And that's, if you know it will never fail because it's an AI, you will never have that emotional attachment to it. Absolutely. You've nailed it. That, that's <sighs> yeah, the edge. That's, yeah. That's the edge which, you know, like somebody on stage, like a Raikuda, for example, like yeah. playing those riffs or those chords could screw up at any minute. And you just hang, you know, and even those points, you know, where you've been in a concert and somebody sung and their voice gave out and oh, everybody like, uh, uh, you know, gasps. Yep. That makes the experience real. For us. And that's why we pay, you know, a hundred times for that. And that's, you know, music is free, mm -hmm. right? But the experience is priceless. Very well said. Graham, um, we learned so much. I learned so much from you. I really enjoyed the conversation. I have two more Very quick question that I ask all of my yeah. guests here. So the first thing is, I'm really excited. You recommended already some books, some TED Talks. Um, I will recommend your, the books you wrote or participated in. But can you tell us what really drives or inspires you right now? Could be anything from a show to a book to a movie to a conversation you had. Something you want to share with me and the sweet people. I'm just really enjoying playing the game. <laughs> That's it. And my goal is to keep playing the game. I think that we as entrepreneurs tend to too much think about exits as the goal. That may be a way of achieving it. But I think if you're happy doing what you're doing and you feel challenged, then that's as good as it is. That's as good as it becomes. And that is really what living's about. So as long as I can keep doing that, look after myself, make sure I stay relevant, keep challenging myself out of the comfort zone, I think I'll be happy. That's what's exciting and driving me at the moment. Constant challenge to do that. But every day I'm kind of not getting comfortable. Beautiful message. Thanks. I'm really appreciated. And yeah, last question is, what's next? What can we look out for? Is there something coming up, um, new releases, something we can follow you or that you want to share with us? Uh, well, one of the big things I've been working on the last six months is podcast guesting. I'm really excited about that opening up podcasting to a bigger audience now, mm -hmm. because obviously it's not just people who own a podcast, but it's all the people who could be part of a podcast. I think that's really exciting. Um, that seems to be a big growth area because for every one person who owns a podcast, there are maybe a hundred who want, who enjoy podcasts. <laughs> And I feel that that should be interesting because not a lot of people know about it yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, like we all know about public speaking and personal branding and the importance of that. So that I feel is something, an area to watch because now that we kind of question the idea of traveling to a conference or spending time out of the office, now you have a way to reach all of these virtual stages globally just yeah. by like what we're doing now. And I think that will appeal to a lot of people. Great. 
Thank you so much. Graham, that's it for today. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really enjoyed Thank our you. talk. Me too. Thanks and talk soon. <laughs> Bye. Yes, sweet people, how great was that? I think Graham is a big inspiration to all brand owners, creators, and storytellers out there. I love the comparison of being a traveler and an entrepreneur. In a previous episode, I drew parallels between working in the creative field and being an entrepreneur. You have to cope with limited resources, with a newness of ideas, uh, with constant evolving, loving the challenge and, well, wanting to leave something behind or at least put a lot of yourself in the work, which makes it personal, the props you get and even more so the critique. So I'm sure you know what I mean if you listen to this podcast and if not, I think you learned a lot about this today. I appreciated that Graham shared so much of his experiences and insights on storytelling and brand culture with us. Such an important topic that, yeah, if we just would talk about design and marketing, we would forget about. But I think the culture of a brand is really an underlying factor that determines if you're successful as a brand or not. I really enjoyed talking to him about this and I already knew the three boxes model, but it was nice to hear it again from him and I can't wait to use it for my next story. That's it for this week. I'll be back in two weeks, sweeties, when I talk to Rafaela Seitz from the Hamburg Creative Society. We'll talk about creativity, innovation and the creative culture here in Germany. So stay tuned and have an amazing week. I'll hear you on the sweet side. This podcast is produced by Sweet Spot Studio. New episodes each week, wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed the show, leave a rating and subscribe to never miss an episode. Find out more at sweetspot-studio.com.